Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Good Monday morning uh, to you and it's a very good weather forecast indeed for the rest of the week. There's going to be nice sunny spells, nice dry days and temperatures in kind of the low 20s, 21, 22 degrees uh, Celsius and then it all turns very different on uh, Friday when there's a band of very heavy rain going to move in. I don't know how heavy it's going to be here in Munster. It's certainly going to have heavy downpours in Leinster and in Ulster and as we head into next weekend bearing in mind next weekend is Electric Picnic so people heading away to Electric Picnic could be in for a wet one and I don't know how much of the rain is going to come our way particularly for parts of West Cork because as we've been hearing all morning the first hosepipe band of the summer goes into effect from midnight uh, tonight and it is for tens of thousands of households in West Cork because there's the risk that the taps will run dry Irish Water say that they have no other choice but to issue this hosepipe uh, ban. It's legally called a water conservation order. All of the newspapers uh, today have copies of this water conservation order. They reckon about 40,000 people are going to be affected uh, by it and it's 30 severely depleted supplies in the West Cork region. They're saying the water levels have dropped to historic lows kicks in at midnight. It is initially going to run for four weeks. It could be extended, particularly if we don't get enough rainfall during those uh, four weeks. And Irish Water is saying while this host pipe ban is kicking in initially for West Cork that they could also be forced to move and do the same thing in other parts of the country. They're particularly keeping an eye on Wexford, Galway, Tipperary and our near neighbours in uh, Kerry. They're tankering in in some areas and pressure reduction, just trying to keep the taps uh, running. Now dozens of other supplies also in the Midlands are under very close watch as well as levels drop and it's all to do with below average rainfall that we have been having and below average rainfall that's expected in the coming weeks. Now what does this water pipe ban mean? uh, Non-essential water uh, uses are are prohibited under the ban so it includes things like using your hoses, don't water your lawns, don't water your plants, don't go out and wash your car, 
are your leisure boat. If you have a leisure boat, they're saying don't fill the swimming pools, don't fill the paddling pools or the ponds. Small paddling pools can be filled up for the kids, but they must be done with handheld containers filled from your normal tap and ponds with fish. They can also be replenished. But other water features, things like fountains, things like artificial lakes, you please ask not to refill them. Using a hose pipe for one hour is the equivalent of the daily water use for an average family. And obviously it is deemed non-essential use according to Irish Water. If you are caught flouting the ban, you can be fined and the fine is €125. Irish Water say the conservation order was needed after a long period of dry weather. And that's combined with a large increase in demand in the West Cork region beautiful part of the country, lots of tourists, lots of people visiting and that has put the water supplies in West Cork under severe stress. Now areas particularly affected include busy towns like Clonakilty, Skibbereen and Bantry but there's other more remote communities also affected. Goleen has been highlighted, Cape Clear and Dursey Island. Now since November of last year rainfall in West Cork has been below average for every single month from November to now, except for June. June was the only month where they got above average rainfall in West Cork. Irish Water say six to eight weeks of rainfall is actually what is needed. Six to eight weeks that in order to replenish supplies. And then they give out some figures. They say, for example, 6.3 millimetres of rain fell at the weather station in Roaches point that was over the 10 days up to last Tuesday but when you compare that to other parts of the country the station in Mullingar they recorded three times at the amount at 18.4 uh, millimetres uh, but then there was one area in Sligo where they got 32 millimetres over that same same period at Roach's point it was only 6.3 millimetres now I met Aaron are already for forecasting lovely lovely dry weather for this week and while next week is said to be wet over all the country there's another dry spell expected then for the following uh, two weeks as we go into September as I was saying to Ken when I was on with him teeing up the programme before 10 we often get very good Septembers we can all remember having really gorgeous Septembers and we traditionally call it an Indian summer when we get it this, I think, for people in West Cork and indeed for other parts of the country, I think is the one time we don't need to get an Indian summer. We really need a lot of rain for the de- depleted supplies in West Cork. Irish waters say water levels at the surface water and the groundwater so- sources in West Cork have reduced to historic lows. So nighttime shutoffs pressure reduction, public appeals indeed they did a public appeal here with us on the programme the week before uh, last, they've been tankering in water to try to boost up uh, supplies, they've tried all that first but they simply say look the situation has not improved and as demand continues to outstrip supply in West Cork and because this further dry weather is predicted, they've taken the extra step of implementing the water conservation order. Now, they'll continue to analyse water consumption uh, levels while the water conservation order is in place. They say it's essential that our water supply is protected if we have to avoid these restrictions and outages over the coming weeks and uh, months. And the last hose pipe band was two years ago in 2020. Before that it was a further two years before that in 2018 but in both of those, both 2018 and 2020, the entire country was put on a hose pipe band. For now it is just the West Cork region. And while, you know, 
and you can, you know, you feel for Irish Water trying to do their bit. They've gone down the line of asking people, uh, putting out the public appeals to ease off on the usage of water. And they're saying, look, historic lows, they have to do something. They want to make sure that during the daytime there will be water available to people. And while you're reading about that and, wa- and watching the water conservation and looking at the water conservation ads that are in the paper, you kind of get annoyed then when you read an article that's in today's examiner that has a headline that says almost 40% of water is lost every uh, year uh, through leakages. It's 38% of Irish water is lost through leakages every year. And that's despite a half a billion euro been spent since 2018. Irish Water have said it is going to spend a further 250 million a year and they're hoping by doing that that they'll get lost water down to 25% by 2030. But even at 25%, that is a huge amount of water to be losing every single year. And when you compare it, as they've done in the examiner, to other countries in Germany and in the Netherlands, when they look at their leaks, their figures are at 6% and 7%. 6% for Germany and 7% for the Netherlands. And we're looking at 38% and aiming to go by 2030 to 25%. Uh, and all these figures have come out because the Aintu leader, Pather Tobin, put a question into Irish uh, Water. And, uh, it's, and Irish Water say it's embarked on this campaign to fix old and damaged pipes across the country. And they say by doing that, they'll bring the average loss from 38% down to 25% by 2030. The utility said it is making progress to deal with what they say is a very complicated problem. They say since 2018, they've invested over half a billion euro to upgrade the underground water network across the country and they're doing that through the delivery of this leakage reduction programme. They're investing a further 250 million every year and that'll be up to the end of 2030. What are they doing with that money? They're fixing leaks and they're replacing pipes to a more reliable water uh, supply. In 2018, the rate of leakages nationally was 46%. And by the end of last year, they had that down to 38%. So they are making inroads, but very, very small uh, inroads. And they say based on that, going from 46 down to 38, they're on track to get to 25% of all water lost by 2030. But Aintu's Pather Tobin wasn't too happy with that answer and I don't think a lot of people would be happy with anybody boasting, a company boasting saying we'll get it down to 25% by 2030. Like he's totalling up all the money that they've spent and plan to spend up to 2030 and in total it's 2.7 billion uh, euro and he said despite investing half a billion euro into the leakage reduction programme Irish Water is still losing nearly 40% of our water every single year due to a leakage. He says Irish Water have written to him to say that they'll be spending a quarter of a billion euro annually until 2030 by which point they then still are going to have a leakage of 25%. He says that isn't success. He said they want to spend in total 2.7 billion and yet admit that a quarter of all water will still be lost to leaks despite spending 2.7 billion. He said the government, he feels now, must initiate a value for water study on the work of Irish Water to see if we are getting a good bang for our buck. 
He says these figures are enormously uh, exp- expensive. And then he's, he's quoted as saying something that I've heard a lot of our listeners <laughs> say when they comment here on this programme. We live on an island that does get its fair share of rain. And yet, as soon as it gets fine for more than a week, we're all subjected to hosepipe bans and messages instructing everyone, don't water your flowers, take shorter showers. He says it's absolutely ridiculous. He says the taxpayer is footing these enormous bills. The least we can expect is for the water to come out of your taps when we turn them on. And I think he's got a valid point. I think when you look at uh, 2.7 billion euro which will have been spent between 2018 and up to 2030. And Irish Water is saying, and when we get to that stage, having spent 2.7 billion, we'll still have 25% of water lost every single day. I think he's right. I don't really think that that is much of a success story. Your thoughts welcomed. Some of your thoughts already coming in by phone to John Paul. Um, Dan and Ballon Hasek is, is on water while we are talking about the first hosepipe ban of the summer taking effect from midnight in West Cork. While we're talking about that, we're also reading and hearing about almost 40% of Irish water is lost through leakages every single day despite tens of millions of euros spent by Irish Water to, to try to sort the leakage problem since uh, 2018. Dan and said he was reading a piece in the Sunday Business Post yesterday and it was an article by John Walsh who was talking about water being privatised in the UK and it was privatised in 1989. He said 73 million euro was paid out to shareholders in dividends yet still raw sewage is being pumped into rivers and lakes in the UK. How is that a win? So I'm assuming you're saying privatising the water system doesn't work either Dan I'm assuming that's what your point is Marion Douglas said the old pipes going into many households they can be dangerous to our health as many of the old pipes are corroding these days particularly the old lead ones Mary lives in an area of Douglas that has these pipes and she says they're constantly questioning the quality of the water and it's those old lead pipes that Irish water are frantically trying to replace because they are corroding and they are breaking the most Uh, for sure and Mary on the hosepipe ban for West Cork says Patricia we live on an island and we have a a water shortage it seems such a joke how do other countries survive when you look at particularly warmer countries with warmer climates that also have a huge huge tourist population places like any of the Canary Islands Lanzarote places like um, Ibiza and Mallorca where they get huge numbers in the summer they're small islands and they always manage to survive and you don't hear them having hose pipe uh, bands what are we doing wrong 0818103103 John Paul taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp to 0862103103 and just a quick shout out that came in by on a WhatsApp saying Hi Patricia through your programme please could I say a sincere thank you to the honest person who handed in my mobile phone last Thursday at Supervalue in Clonakilty. All I know was it was a young lad. I very much appreciate it. And he didn't leave a name or a contact detail, details or anything. 
just literally handed it in. So I found this phone and Mary, obviously, the, I'm sorry, I've made up the name Mary, whoever this lady is, uh, obviously backtracked as to where, where she was, where could I have lost my phone and was checking with various shops that she'd been in, went into Super Value. Did anybody hand in a phone? Lo and behold, here, a young lad did. There's your phone back. So well done. And it's lovely to see such great honesty uh, is out there, particularly amongst our young people. So whoever that young lad is, Bula Busty and a pat on the back. Well done. 0818 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Following the resignation of Robert Troy as a Minister of State last week, there has been calls for the strengthening of Ireland's ethics regime for politicians and public figures. Among those looking for more powers for those who enforce them is Social Democrats' co-leader Catherine Murphy, who joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Catherine. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're, you're very welcome to the programme. Now, SIPO, that's the Standards in Public Office Commission. They're the watchdog that polices ethics in public life. They've been calling, Catherine, for additional powers, I think, since the noughties. Why have they been consistently ignored by successive governments? It isn't just this government. I, I really don't know. And it's not that there haven't been controversies. Uh, but when there's been controversies, it's been very obvious then uh, that they lacked the powers. And indeed, that happened a couple of years ago uh, when Murphy was um, a, a TD, but also was working in the European for the European People's Party. And in, indeed, there were calls, including from Michal Martin, to strengthen the, the powers. Of, of the standards in public, uh, public office. But one of the things, uh, like back to 2003, they looked for uh, the the ability to uh, launch an investigation themselves rather than wait until uh, a complaint is made. Um, and even uh, earlier earlier this month, when they issued their annual report, uh, their, they, they included that in, on 18 different things where they had thought additional powers, and, and the, under the progress heading, it, it had said uh, no progress on that particular one. There, there was they, 18 calls. They must be getting so frustrated because I certainly was unaware of that point that you've just made, that SIPO have no power to initiate an investigation. It is to rely on other people to bring potential wrongdoing to their attention. That yes, doesn't make any sense. No, I know it doesn't. And uh, like... You know, you change behaviour by having consequences. And um, there was, in the programme for government, there is a a commitment to strengthen uh, the the whole ethics regime. Now, that's not just uh, the standards of public office. That comes out of the Hamilton report, for example, which looked at um, preventing, uh, uh, it had recommendations preventing economic Crime and corruption it was published earlier this year. It's a very good report. Uh, it's also uh, the 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 Council of Europe's group for states against corruption, Greco, has other recommendations. So there's a range of things that need to be done, but there's no reason why some of the recommendations that, if not all of the recommendations that the Standards and Public Office have uh, have called for, couldn't be uh, implemented and uh, additional powers given. Are there any sanctions for failure to accurately complete the Oireachtas Register on time? No. None? No. Um, and essentially it's the court of public opinion, you know. 
And I mean, I mean, there's no doubt that that was, uh, you know, the, the public scrutiny of Robert, Robert Troy recently, um, you know, what, you know, was really quite important. But I certainly was hearing it out and about that people wanted, uh, they just didn't want to see this kind of thing happening. Yeah, because when controversies like what happened last week erupt, uh, Catherine, does it tire all politicians with the same brush in the eyes of the general public? Well, what it does is that confidence, the confidence of the public is lost. Yeah. Once you lose confidence, it's very hard to get it back. Um, and essentially, there has to be a legacy from this. And the legacy from this has to be that we strengthen uh, those powers. You know, and and it's it's both the legislation and the enforcement regime. So the Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath, he he has commenced a review of ethics legislation, and and I think he started it uh, last year. Do we know what's happening with that review, and are you hopeful that that can bring some change? Well, that started in September, so it's a full year now. Um, I would have made we would have made a submission to that ourselves in the Social Democrats, um, that was called for, I think, God in the, I think, very early this year, if not late last year. And, um, like, we're waiting on, on that report. But, like, a lot of this would have been moot had they, had they you know, had they acted on the, the annual report of the Standard and Public Office. And there is an urgency about this. And there has to be a, polit- a political commitment to actually doing this in a comprehensive way. Like, you can't expect, for example, people to comply with corporate law if the minister has failed to disclose, for example, a, a directorship. You know, I mean, mm. you, lose, you lose authority um, by virtue of the fact that you're, you're not leading by example. Yeah, and someone has um, said well done to, for Catherine for reminding people of what, what happened with uh, Dara Murphy. Uh, the fact that he left the doll, it meant then that Sippo couldn't investigate. Yeah. Yeah, I see those kind of stories just really infuriate uh, people. So uh, let's wait and see what comes out of this review. But as you say, it is in the programme for government. It does contain uh, a pledge to reform and consolidate the law on ethics in public life. Yeah, I mean, it can't be found short. It, we really have to get it right this time. If there's an opportunity, um, it, and there has to be the political political will to do it. Okay, listen, Catherine, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning, morning. to you. Bye bye. Social Democrats uh, co-leader uh, Catherine Murphy on the need to strengthen Ireland's ethics uh, regime. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. According to the fourth report in the series from the Children's School Lives Study, which is conducted by UCD School of Education, children starting school are overprepared in reading and counting, while teachers say an ability to self-manage in the classroom is much more important at this age. Co-investigator of the study, Gabriella Martinez-Sanz, who is also Assistant Professor in Education at UCC, joins me. Good morning to Gabriella. 
Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and you're very welcome to the to the program. Are parents placing too much emphasis on academic learning when they should be focusing on social and self care skills? Is that the message you're trying to get across? I think the message is that we need to have a more holistic view of what the transition for children at this stage means. Um, as a parent, of course, we want them to succeed. And so often the emphasis has been on them learning their numbers and learning their letters. And, and that's great. But as the, as the study finds out, teachers are also concerned that they have other skills that are equally important when they start school. Uh, self-care, for example, uh, social skills. And as basic as the capacity to wait their turn or raise their hands when they hand, uh, want to speak, things like that uh, make also life so much easier for when they start junior infants. And it's I I think it's not a matter of either or. They can uh, they definitely can have their literacy skills and numeracy skills. But as a parent, it's also important that we uh, pay attention in the other skills that we can enforce at home. And as they are enforced uh, and reinforced in preschools. And overall, is the move to big school, is, is it generally a positive experience, Gabrielle? That's something we're, uh, we're really happy to find out in this particular report. And it, we have the previous report also highlighting how a positive experience is for children to start the school. And I'm I hoping this will... Uh, be a very good news for parents who are about to uh, enroll their uh, little ones into junior infants. It's it's uh, across the board. It is a positive experience. Uh, children are happy to be in school. They they are happy to make new friends. They are happy to learn skills to become more independent as as they progress in in the year. So for everyone, for teachers, principals, and parents. And more importantly, for children, we recorded that it's a positive experience, a challenging one, but a positive experience. Do we need a stronger link between the preschool and the actual primary school? We definitely need to strengthen, uh, first of all, communication channels. We found out in the report that one of the key areas to make the transition uh, a successful one and a smooth one for children and uh, families alike with a, a good communication between preschools and primary schools. But also, and I think this is something the NCCA is currently working on, um, the idea is to strengthen the alignment between the curriculum in preschools and with uh, the AASHTER curriculum and the curriculum in junior and senior infants. So the, the transition is smooth, not only in terms of logistics communication, the, the schools know who the children are, who the families are, but also that there's an alignment between what they learn in preschool and what they will learn in junior infants. And is there is there not a link at the moment? There is a link, but there's a, the idea is to make sure that these, for example, um, differences between what we would expect on literacy skills in numbers, reading, writing, and social skills, that there is an actual... Um, yeah, that we don't have differences or significant differences between what teachers are expecting at the stage in across the board and how children are starting in school. Because, of course, children go to school to learn. So 
the little children that can go in and are very good at counting and are very good at reading uh, skills. That's what they go to school to learn, isn't it? I mean, everyone will catch up and probably by the end of the first year, they're probably all on the same level anyway. Exactly. That's that's also a, a really important point for uh, for parents and it was uh, emphasised by the teachers. The, the importance of the junior infancy is that they provide the base uh, and, and the foundation for children to their primary school learning. So in, rather than worrying too much on how they start the year, just working with the schools and with the teachers on making sure that they progress uh, throughout the year, that they have um, the routines, that they have the skills, again, working with the teachers and the schools to make sure that the junior infant is a good year, a happy year, so it sets the tone for the rest of their learning across primary school. And the, the sort of the self-skills you're talking about, I mean, they're, they're simple things, I take it, like being able to put on their coat and take off their coat and open their lunchbox. It's, it's simple things, but some children are turning up without those skills, I believe. Yes, and it, it, it sounds, as you say, so simple, but it gives them a sense of independence. It allows them to, uh, to move easily in the classroom to understand what they have to do when they're waiting their turns or being able to just open their lunchbox without any support from the teacher. So these tiny things, putting their coat, uh, being able to put their shoes on, if something like if the shoe goes off in the yard, things like that, yeah. they give them a, a, a sense of independence. They give them a sense of this is big school. We are in big school. We have new routines. We have new expectations. And as you say, there are simple things that we as parents can definitely uh, help and promote in in our homes every day, but uh, make it fun. I would also say don't don't try to make this also an additional list of to-do uh, things just as numbers or letters, but just remember that this is a big transition for children. They are starting a completely new life. Uh, big school can be intimidating for some, and what we want to make sure is that children have a positive experience. So, yes, make sure that they have the 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 basic skills that they need, that they recognize their uh, school bag, for example, that they can open the school bag, they can open their lunch, that they will enjoy their lunch. Mm. Uh, so they can have the positive experience and then uh, we will avoid kind of uh, some of the main concerns that parents have. And we, we, have, uh, we highlighted that in the report. One of the concerns, for example, of parents is that children would, wouldn't want to go to school anymore. So how we can avoid that? Well, precisely generating positive experiences Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and the importance of learning based on play, that's vital, isn't it, in those early years? It's vital. And, and we, we dedicate a full section in the report in case uh, everyone wants to have a look uh, on how we can make sure that there's a continuance between uh, play, because in preschool, everything is about play. Everything uh, it kind of is, is a structure around children's play. And one of the main concerns that parents and teachers have that is that the play kind of fades away when they start uh, primary school. And that doesn't necessarily have to happen. We, uh, From the interviews with teachers and principals, we found out that especially in the first, um, in the infant's years, in junior and senior infants, play is still a part of children's uh, school lives, which is really good because that's how they learn, how they're enthusiastic about school, how they motivate about uh, learning. So that's one one example of how we can make this uh, continuum and process the, the transition between preschool and primary a smooth one and a happy one for children. 
And Gabriella, has the rollout of the ECI, the Early Childhood Care and Education Programme, has that had a very positive outcome on our younger children? It has a very positive outcome. Uh, children, parents report uh, significant levels of uh, of access to the scheme and uh, satisfaction with the scheme, uh, which I think it, it's important to note when uh, when parents feel that they have had the support and that this the program is working for them. Okay, well done. It's it's a great study, and as I mentioned, it's the f- fourth report in in the series. So you continue to work on this particular study, Gabriella. Yes, we uh, it's a longitudinal study, so we're following children across the transitions, the transition between uh, as we did with this report from preschool to primary school, but we're also following an older group of uh, children and their transition between primary and secondary school. So uh, anyone interested in how our children are learning in school and how they're, how they're learning, how happy they are, what their expectations are in these transitions, do uh, keep an eye on the reports that come up from the study. And we're happy to connect with uh, parents, school teachers, principals who are interested in this. Okay, it's a great study. Well done. Well done. Listen, Gabriella, thank you for that. And thank you for taking time out to join us. Thank you very much, Patricia. Have a nice day. You too, you too. Bye-bye. Gabriela Martinez-Sanz joining me there, one of the co-investigators on that study, part of the Children's School Live study. And actually, when I was reading uh, the study over the weekend, it it makes for interesting reading, particularly that bit about, you know, there's too much of a focus on making sure that your child goes into the classroom, able to do, able to say the alphabet and able to count to 100 and my little one can write her name and, you know... And then, but yet when they go in, then they just don't have the social skills. It just brought me back. I remember when my uh, young lad, who is now a big lad, when he started school and the excitement, first boy, and he was the you know first grandchild heading off into a big school, and there was much excitement, and the new uniform was purchased, and everything was was right, and the. The, the pencil case and what needed to be in the pencil case and the school bag and everything went according to plan. And I remember when I went to collect him on the first day, he came bursting out of the classroom saying that I need to go to the toilet, I need to go to the toilet. And I said, why didn't you use the toilet? There was a toilet at the back of the classroom. And he said, I bought him big boy trousers that had a button and a zip on it. And of course, for a four and a half year old, he'd been so used to the elasticated waist trousers wasn't able to negotiate the button and the zip and didn't want to ask the teacher because the teacher was busy and all of that. So the first thing I had to do on day one of him starting school was head to the shop and buy trousers, buy little boy trousers that you could pull up and down. And it's the one piece of advice I have passed on to so many of my friends when their little boys were starting school. Be very careful of those. The trousers with a button and a zip you know, they've got to be a little bit older before they can negotiate that. It's a simple thing, but it's one that you just don't think of when you're plotting and planning for the first one heading out to school. I can see still a lot of calls and comments coming in. When I mentioned about the host pipe band, which goes into effect from midnight tonight for West Cork. But I also mentioned the fact that there's a report in the, in the papers today that almost 40 percent of Irish water is lost through leaks every single day despite a half a billion euro being spent trying to fix the leaks since 2018. Where are we getting with these uh, leaks? And the target for Irish Water is that they'll have spent 2.7 billion by 2030. And even then, if they continue at the rate at which they're going in replacing the pipes and sorting out the leaks, even then, having spent 2.7 billion, 
they still we still will be losing 25% of water through leaks every single day. Pat Infomoy says, wait another 10 years, we will know what bad is. What I think we should have to do is a grant for systems that give a half or a full flush of the toilet. A lot of new homes have these new toilets already that don't use as much water. Maybe in houses that don't, there should be some facility to upgrade the toilet cisterns. Well, it won't stop the leaks. It certainly will cut down on people's water uh, usage. Someone else says, Patricia, uh, do you know that because we've had such little rainfall here in the uh, south to get us up to the national average, we would need to get two foot. Yes, that's 24 inches of rain by the end of uh, this year. Um, that's an inch and a half of rain every week for the rest of this year. Uh, yeah, and Met Aaron are saying that there's good weather on the way. There's rain coming at the weekend and into next week, but then there's about another two weeks, they reckon, of good weather. Certainly not enough to sort out the problems in West Cork. Somebody else says, Patricia, most of the water leaks occur before the water ever gets near a, a metre. They're out on our roads, roadways. Somebody else says, I will use, and I'm assuming this is somebody in West Cork, is it? I'll use, I'll use as much water as I want when I want water and power this country is banjaxed says this listener and someone else says should we not stop showers and insist that people only take two showers a week oh you can I don't know if I would cope with it only allowed two showers a week you can do the showers and you can limit the time in the shower the 15 minute showers are gone uh, you should ideally be in the shower for no longer than five minutes. So 818 103 103. We're going to take a break. We have news at 11 on the way. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed now just responding uh, to some of your calls and texts coming in and by the way there's a number of texts coming in about I suppose what can only be described as antisocial behaviour from a particular village in North Cork we're looking into it we're trying to get as much information as we can on this story before we can run with it but just to let people know in case you think I'm ignoring your texts I'm not uh, John Paul is working on that story at the moment but Declan has been on and wants to raise the whole topic of immigration on the programme this morning and he's particularly looking for other listeners' thoughts and views and in particular he's highlighting the fact that as we've been reporting there are almost 11,000 Irish people homeless and when you break that that down 3,000 of them are children and these are Irish people who can't rent accommodation uh, because we know the problems that we have we're trying to find a rental property so there are Irish families and there's individuals as well who are living in hotels they're in B&Bs they're in hostels they're in family uh, hubs but shocking to think that 3,000 children will leave for school in the next couple of days and they'll be leaving from a hotel in many of them leaving from a hotel room and a hotel room is where they'll return to after school it's really really difficult on the children so with 11,000 Irish people homeless at the moment Declan uh, says while that's going on we are taking in refugees into this country he said okay taking refugees particularly from a war-torn region like what's going on in Ukraine is fine but he says Michal Martin as Taoiseach says he will not put a cap on the number of refugees that would be allowed into this country. But Declan is now worried 
because we have a major housing crisis like we've never seen before in this country, he's fearful of what's going to happen to some of those refugees as they arrive into Ireland. Will some of them end up sleeping on the streets? He said, we don't want a mess like we've seen in other uh, countries where too many refugees have arrived. There isn't enough room at the inn and refugees end up sleeping on the on the street. It's time to look at it from all of the different aspects to look at, you know, will there be places in our schools? We know our hospital waiting lists are getting longer. People that arrive will, will need care and uh, attention. So there's a lot of aspects to be looked at outside of the major elephant in the room in that we don't have enough housing. So Declan this morning is saying do we need to discuss immigration in this uh, country and sit down and do it in a fair way with all of the stakeholders uh, around uh, the table because he's starting to think that it simply is not fair on very vulnerable people who are fleeing a war situation and if they arrive to this uh, country and we are not in a position, we're not equipped to help them. And he's been pondering on that over the weekend and he's wondering how how others are feeling and are others feeling uh, the same way. And I, I, I do think, Declan, you're right, I do think we need to sit down and have a very adult conversation uh, about it. If there isn't room at the inn, there isn't room at the inn, but yet when you think of somebody fleeing a war uh, situation, I mean, we have some of them living in tents but I heard people who got out of, say, Mariupol saying that they would prefer to be living in a tent in Ireland than, you know, in their own city of Mariupol with bombs going off uh, all around them. But it's to get that balance uh, right. What I don't want is a discussion and finger pointing and people blaming the Ukrainian refugees as if the war in their country and their need to flee is their fault. It isn't. These are refugees who need our help and our protection. And I have seen some commentary. I saw really some disturbing commentary over the weekend where all the finger blame seemed to be pointed at the Ukrainians and that I don't like. And that's just instilling hatred and it's fueling up a hatred, uh, you know, against one particular group of people, which is so, so unfair. But do we need an open and a frank discussion around the number of refugees that we can allow into this country? Because Declan has also said, you know, we've seen refugees sleeping in sports stadiums in this country. That is not fair. He says a discussion needs to happen. So your thoughts welcomed on that to 0818103103 and then somebody else by WhatsApp is saying that they sat down and watched the nine o'clock news on the TV last night and some of it made for you know very depressing viewing millions of people scrambling on small pieces of ground clinging on for their lives because of the floods that have happened in Pakistan the ongoing war that we have in Ukraine we've got famine going on on the horn of Africa and yet this listener says I tuned into national radio today and all I see seem to hear is a whinge fest with people in this country whinging about houses, whinging about school transport, whinging about rising prices. Today is a beautiful sunny day in Ireland. A bit of perspective is needed. Be thankful for what we have. We need to stop complaining so much, says this WhatsApper to 0862103103. I discussed uh, SIPO in the last hour with Catherine Murphy. James Imbluri says we are hearing this all the time about holding politicians and those in public life, holding them to account over the years, but it never seems to happen. Then we have a situation where every time we have a census in this country, we're told that we're going to need new TDs for different constituencies. We need quality, not quantity. 
says James. I feel if we had TDs that were natural born leaders and he suggests two people, two business people, JP McManus and Michael O'Leary. If we had people of their calibre, they might be able to run this country and start looking at running this country like a business. So when it comes to the number of TDs and then he's right, James is right. The number of TDs is based on the number of people that live in a particular area. He says it is uh, quality over quantity is what we need. 0818 Someone else by text says, morning, Patricia. With the budget just around the corner, may I suggest that all those who are on CE schemes, that they need to get some kind of an increase. I would suggest that they need at least an extra €50 a week. Those that are on a CE scheme currently receive €208, which is what the unemployment benefit uh, is. And for doing a CE scheme, they're given an extra €22 per week. What an insult to all of those who do those CE schemes. And by the way, CE schemes do the most amazing work. I didn't realise that the pay, the money was as low as that. I thought the top up was higher than €22, Euro, but this is obviously somebody in the know who said it's only €22. Euro. So this listener is also pointing to the fact it's no wonder that men and women who are currently unemployed don't want to take up community employment schemes and they do such vital uh, work. But, you know, why would you do it for only an extra 22 uh, euro, at least a 50 euro increase is what this listener is suggesting. 0818 103 103. And then on water that we started the programme on and in particular when I started talking about almost 40% of Irish water is lost through leaks every single day. And says Patricia, listening to you about lead pipes in some of our estates, I have been on to several people in the area where I live, which is Temple Hill in Ballin Temple. I even got onto the Taoiseach's office and nothing has been done about it. We need our lead pipes replaced. Where else can I go, says uh, Anne. And then Councillor Declan Hurley was on to say, Patricia, on Irish water, and obviously Declan Hurley is a West Cork councillor, so he's in the area now where the hosepipe ban goes in from midnight tonight. Declan says, I'm not defending Irish water, but does it not show how previous governments have failed to invest in the nation's public water infrastructure, even when public water supply was under the responsibility of local authorities? It failed to invest and it failed to upgrade the infrastructure Irish Water then inherited a mess of an out-of-date and damaged water pipes. Yet we hear that the government are wasting five million on the name-changing of Irish Water to Ishka Erin. How can this be justified? It's so ridiculous and it is so wasteful. Our public water infrastructure is crying out for investment and I believe the utility should be scrapped and put the public water supply back into the hands of the local authorities and give them that five million to invest in our infrastructure. Best wishes to you. And that's uh, Councillor uh, Declan Hurley. Thank you for that, uh, Declan. But when I was talking about the piece that has come to light because of the AN2 leader, uh, Padder, um, Padder Tobin, and it was he getting onto Irish Water talking about the leaks and they were saying how much money they are spending. He was the one who totaled it all up and said, you know, by 2030, the Irish Water, the utility known as Irish Water will have spent 2.7 billion and yet they say 
I'm not saying boastfully, but they're saying their success rate then, having spent 2.7 billion, will mean that there'll still be 25% of our water lost every day, even with an investment of 2.7 million. So, you know, he's making the point, do we need to... Does the government now need to go back to Irish Water and initiate some kind of a value for money study on the work that Irish Water is doing? And can they justify spending 2.7 billion? And are they spending it in the right way? Can that justify 2.7 billion spent and still 25% of our water will be lost every day uh, through leaks? But you could be right, is the answer giving it back to the local authorities and what could the local authorities do with a budget like that? 0818 103 103 and then another listener said are some of the people contacting your show today for real? Somebody saying we should cut down to two showers a week. Somebody else is saying if we half flush the toilet that could save water. What is all this scaremongering about? First they're talking about power outages this week it seems to be water. What a joke this government are. I'll go for my shower every day. I've done that for most of my life. I don't want to be smelly. I'm sick of this country even though I was born here says a listener who certainly will not give up on their daily shower and I think there'll be a lot of people with you not giving up on your daily shower but if you're having your daily shower what Irish Water tell us to do is to keep that shower to five minutes. 0818 John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Trea Oil Group they're looking for a rigid truck driver to work in Cork City and in the North Cork area ADR experience will be preferred although not essential as training can be provided you send CVs to careers at Trea T-R-I-A dot I-E full and part time school bus drivers are wanted applicants must have a D D1 licence, driver's card and you also need to have your up-to-date CPCS. Also drivers must complete Garda vetting. CVs to Ballancolleague Coaches Limited at gmail.com An apprenticed stonemason is wanted for Cork City and for West Cork. Stone, brick and block laying experience would be an advantage although not essential. Your own car is also desirable. Call 085 8060020 and ward personnel they are looking for ground workers with experience please in pipeline excavation drainage and concrete if you have experience in any of these areas please call 021 233 you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. A special two day weekend bereavement course will be held next month in the Nanonagle Centre in Killavolum. And it's specifically been run to help people heal after the death of a loved one from COVID. To talk about the course, I'm joined by one of the facilitators, and that's Kay O'Mahony. Good morning, Chikay. Good morning, Patricia. You're, you're, How are you? I'm very well, and you're very welcome to the program. And um, I, I love the, the the name you've put on the, this two day course. Is I wasn't ready to say uh, goodbye. Um, yeah. Who would you like to see attend this course, Kay? Well, Patricia, <coughs> excuse me. This course is for the person who has lost a loved one 
during COVID-19. And it offers them support to grieve in their own unique way and in a supportive and non-judgmental place. It's a practical, instructive and gentle approach which enables each person to grieve with the understanding that one doesn't simply get over it but deals with the different stages of grief at different times down the road. And it helps them to understand all our different feelings and to realise that these feelings are normal and they're part of the grief process. So it's not just if you lost a loved one because of COVID. It's for anyone who lost a loved one during the pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And because so many, Kay, were not able to be with their loved ones at the time of uh, death. And and I've spoken with some of those families on the programme over the last uh, two years. Has that made coping with their grief, do you think, even harder? Oh, God, most certainly it has. Because they were not allowed to be with their loved ones at this critical time in their illness and also in their final days, it has left behind so many unanswered questions. There was nobody to talk to as the country was in lockdown. They hadn't the usual freedom even to go to a doctor. The churches were closed and it has left the griever with anger, frustration and feelings of being very resentful. And also, deeper than that, wondering if in their final moments did their loved ones know they were thought of every day and loved so much. And then, from the patient's point of view, It must have been a heartbreaker, knowing that in any given day, there would be no family member calling on them. No, I just need to put something in here. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. The way way you've you've put that, particularly about family members uh, wondering, did their loved ones know that they were loved? Because that and that's exactly any of us who have been in that position to be with a loved one as they're passing. It's probably the last thing you say to the person, isn't it? Yeah, just to hold their hand and be with them. Yeah, I like I remember one family talking about being outside the window of the nursing home, looking in at their mother passing away and and one of them realising I, I think mam is gone. They just realised that the breathing had stopped and she was in a room on her own. And I just, the picture of it was just, and, and there was also the regrets, Kay, around the lead up to a loved one passing away. People weren't able to get in, uh, you know, in the weeks and months in many cases. That's right. And that's talked about, that was talked about 24-7 on radios and television. That was the way it was. And I need to say, like, from feedback I have received, I have yet to hear of one criticism, just one criticism I haven't heard, against the medical staff. All have said that their commitment to the COVID patient went far beyond being excellent. Yeah, people understood we were we were unfortunately in in a very different situation that we never ever want to be in uh, again. And then the loved one passed away, uh, Kay, and funerals were very different. And funerals are very much a part of our grieving process, aren't they? Yeah, very much so. And just to go with myself first, you know, I have lost, at my age, I have lost many people I've loved in my life. And I've been able to take my time and grieve for them. I was, I was allowed to be with them during their illness and be there when they passed away. I was able to let relatives and friends know they called 
and talked about the happenings. We laughed and we cried together when making out the eulogy. And in the reading it out, it was so supportive to look down and see so many familiar faces. At the graveside, we chatted about bygone days, and that was such a support for me. We went back to have something to eat afterwards, and there was such healing. Now, contrast that with losing a loved one during the COVID pandemic. What was it like to do the eulogy and look down to see a handful of people in the front row of the church? People were not allowed to visit their loved ones. Some of them were actually dying at the time, what you were saying a minute ago. There was only a few people allowed into the church. And thinking about the eulogy is a tough one. Instead of healing, it has brought up guilt and resentment in the midst of all their pain. And talking to some bereaved people, many feel a huge anger and they feel empty and alone. Yeah, I mean, even down to at funeral, there was no, you couldn't hug even family members. Couldn't, yeah. yeah. I remember um, hearing of a family who had, there was 10 siblings and it was at the time where 10 were allowed and their dad had died from COVID, unfortunately. And it was the, the very early stages where it was a body bag. They didn't even get to see their father. It was a sealed coffin. They went straight to the cemetery. And I heard one of the sisters say, you know, we couldn't even hug each other. And we all walked out of that cemetery and we got into 10 different cars and went home. And I just thought, oh, my God, your grieving process is going to take it. it, 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 it I, I assume it adds to the grieving process, does it? Kay? Would it just take longer to get over that kind of grief? Absolutely. That all that has be, before the stages of grief, all that has to be dealt with. And think of the loneliness of getting into your own car and driving home knowing your mum or your dad or your close relative is gone. You can't talk to anybody about yeah. it only on the phone. Yeah, whereas, whereas, whereas the picture you painted there of going back to a house or back to a venue and, and, you know, everybody reminisces about remember when he or she did that or I remember when I had a conversation, all of that was was, was taken away from people. Um, at your course, Kay, with the people attending, will they have a chance to share their own story and does sharing your own story help, the gr- help in the grieving process? Well, everyone will get time, Patricia, to share their story. Um, because one of the best ways to work through grief is to tell your story over and over again in a safe and a sacred place. And that is what we will offer the group. Our story is a very special part of who we are, as you know. And during the weekend, we will look at feelings and how they can affect us. And we will look at what happened to us psychologically, physically, emotionally and spiritually. We will look at memories, and forgiveness and self-care and the different ways we can self-care and what happens when we don't. And Kay, am I right in saying there's no right or wrong way to grieve? Uh, Patricia, everyone's grief journey is different. Yeah. We all grieve in different ways and when I hear people saying somebody dies belong to them, they say, I know how you feel. They haven't a clue how that person feels. At best, they know how they felt when their loved one died. Yeah, and there's no time span on no. grief. Sure, there Absolutely isn't. Absolutely not. No. no. And even even within a sibling group, somebody, one family member can appear to get over the bereavement quicker than somebody else. 
but but sure, yeah. yeah, but you never know what's going on in the other person's head, or the. And we don't. Yeah. And we don't. Yeah, you There's you ten siblings in a family, and you know, being reared in the one family, they've ten different experiences. And they'll all grieve. They'll all grieve. They'll uh, all uh, grieve differently. They all grieve. They and then, and the whole grief process, and I know it's something that we've often discussed with uh, Joe, Joe Heffernan on our slash with Joe on a, on a Tuesday. There's so many different stages, isn't there, to the to the to the there is, to there the is. grief and process? We, we will go through each stage and find out how where on the grief cycle every each person is. And there's huge healing in that when they can say, you know, I'm in the depression stage, I'm in the guilt stage, I'm at the anger stage. And what that's like for them, you know. And more than anything, I think it's to get the message across to everybody this morning who's identifying with what you're saying. This is not what you're going through is normal. Totally normal. You know, grief is a wound. It's circular. We can never get around it. We have to go through the very core of grief, experience it in order to heal well, and Bree, you are a bereavement um, counsellor, uh, Kay. Um, how does bereavement counselling, do you think, help people following the death of a loved one? Well, you know, quite recently, it's amazing you asked that question, because quite recently I asked different people that same question. And they said they found grief counselling amazing, an amazing experience. And one man went on to say that when his loved one died, way back in COVID, the early stages of it. He felt he was plunged or catapulted into a black box with no light and he felt he could not get out of that box. And bit by bit by bit, through the weeks of counselling, there was little bits of light came in until eventually the box opened and he said it was like a little bird I could into a blue sky. And I thought that was amazing to describe it like that. Gorgeous description. Gorgeous, gorgeous description. Mm-hmm. And how how is there a right time for how soon after bereavement should you go for counselling? Well, the first year of our loss is one of pain, shock, trauma and lots and lots of tears. So try not to expect too much from yourself. There's a popular expression which says, grief is a marathon, not a sprint. And as grief can impact on so many areas of our lives, including our own physical health, we need to be compassionate with ourselves. It won't always be this difficult. The grief of this loss can be exhausting, confusing, painful, and very often debilitating. And if this is the way it is for you, please, please reach out and seek help. Seek a counsellor. Look up, find a therapist. Talk to them and see if they suit you. And the best type of therapy for you is what works, what you prefer and what yields the best results to your seeking. We don't always feel comfortable opening up to a family member for fear of upsetting them. Therefore, we tend to carry it all alone. So finding a suitable therapist can have an amazing healing effect, Patricia. The time between you and the therapist is for you alone. This space with your therapist is reserved for you and nobody can invade it. It's a place for you to open up and share your deepest thoughts and feelings and be listened to at a very deep level. It's a place where whatever happened the previous week or so can be brought and discussed and respected. And confidentiality 
and being listened to are huge, are of huge importance to the client-therapist relationship. Therapy, Patricia, is not a sign of weakness. Absolutely. It shows the courage the human being has to want to get up and move forward in the face of pain, fear and hurt. Okay, well said. Just stay there because I want to bring in Eilish, one of our listeners, has uh, contacted us. Uh, good morning, Eilish. Uh, good morning, Patricia. Now, you're, you are the exactly the family that Kay is talking about. You lost your, your gorgeous husband right in the yeah. middle of the pandemic. January 2021, he left, he left home on the 1st of January in an ambulance and we brought him back in a sealed coffin to be buried alone. Um, he died of COVID-19. I couldn't say enough for the medical staff above, but we didn't see him for three weeks. Not for three weeks. And for two of those weeks, I didn't even speak to him on the phone because he was on a CPAP mask where he couldn't he couldn't speak. And then he went, he'd went downhill um, and he passed away on the 21st of January. Uh, 2021. Uh, we did, we did sit with him for an hour. We got in for an hour. His last hour. My God! And then the funeral. Um. Then a reality strikes, Trisha, because when you ring the undertaker, he tells you that no, you can't have an open coffin. He will be put into a bag, a double bagged, and put into the coffin, and brought down home brought down to the church. Nobody else touches them. My sons couldn't even carry their death. Oh my God. That's dreadful. And so many families, unfortunately. Um, yeah, Irish. we're not the only ones. We're not the only ones. Uh, the only positive thing about not being able to carry the coffin, well, there was only 10 of us in the church, is I was able to walk him down the aisle yeah. with my sons. I have to take a positive out of that. Um. And our neighbours and friends, <laughs> I'd be here all day. But we buried him um, and we had a small discussion at the grave and the four of us, including my mum, came home in here, in the home, my two sons, my mum and myself, and sat with a meal prepared by a friend. That was worth the kindness. It was... It was a friend yeah, who left a meal the day before yeah, or something, yeah. yeah. Couldn't even bring it in. They left it outside. <sighs> and I had lots of those friends over the three weeks that we were here locked down. We were in lockdown because my mum was COVID positive the same weekend as John was. Um, so we were um, in lockdown for two weeks. Uh, but my friends, I'm telling you, I'm still thanking them and still being so grateful to them. That's where family and friends and community comes in, yeah. isn't it, Eilish? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. They they were brilliant as much as they could be um, from outside the door. Uh, but it's just, I heard you having that interview with that lady. I'm doing OK. We're do, we are doing OK um, because of the support I have locally in my family. Um, but yes, there are people, I'd say, that probably can't deal with grief in the way the first year was terrible and I found the start of this year um, and something, I don't know, I, I, when I go to the grave, definitely he tells me what to do. Right. I believe in that and he's our angel. Well, what, what, what was his name, Eilish? John, John O'Sullivan. John. 
Yeah. May John rest in peace. May John oh, rest indeed. in peace. Listen, and thank you for sharing your story. Stay strong. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks God bless. for airing everything that needs needs to be aired on your programme. I know, it's our privilege. Thanks, um, thanks, Eilish. Thank God bless. God bless. And Kay, uh, that's just heartbreaking, but uh, but lovely to see friends and and because because you know there's that and and we hear this so often as well uh, when you meet somebody after a bereavement mm-hmm. and people not knowing what to say, people not knowing what to do. Her neighbour leaving the food outside the yeah. front door, they couldn't go in because of COVID times. A simple gesture like that can mean the world to a bereaved family. Huge, absolutely. Absolutely huge. And I remember one lady telling told me that her little girl was killed in a car accident by a car. And she said eight months later, her friend was out for coffee with her one day and the friend said to her, but you're grand now, you look lovely. I mean, how hard is that? Oh, how cruel is that? A lot of people, we don't know what to say. We're told a lot of things in school and we learn an awful lot. We're not told how to deal with humanity when it hits us at that level and at that level, you know? So even that line of, I don't know what to say to you, is enough yeah. to say some, uh, sometimes. That is huge. Just to put your hand on somebody's shoulder. It's not, I mean, what can anybody say at that particular time? Nothing. Okay, your course is running. Uh, it's called I Wasn't no, Ready. There's one more thing, if yeah. I may, Patricia, okay, okay. There, if I may. Yeah. And it's about group therapy. That is more strongly advised as each person in sharing is supported by the other. And as we say, sharing our story helps their feelings of loneliness and isolation. And if you find a group near you or online, I would strongly advise it. More so than counselling even earlier on. Because in a group, anything that's human is mentionable. And anything that is mentionable can be more manageable. We can talk about our feelings and become less overwhelmed and less obsessed and less scary. And the people we trust with with our story help us to let us know we are not alone. OK, well said. You're running this. It's a, it's a two-day weekend course, Saturday and Sunday, 17th and 18th of September. It's in the wonderful yes. uh, Nanonega birth, birthplace in uh, Kilavolan. We have your contact uh, number uh, if anybody is uh, looking for it. It's, I wasn't ready to say goodbye. Surviving, coping and healing after the uh, death of a loved one during the pandemic. We wish you luck with it, um, Kay. And thank you. Thank you for sharing so much with us this morning uh, as well. Uh, I think that was important. Um, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Kay uh, O'Mahony, who is a bereavement uh, counsellor. 0818-103-103. John Paul takes your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Drive time with Martina O'Donoghue on C103. C103. Join me every weekday from four and I'll get you home with Cork's greatest hits and lots more. And lots more. Choose our feel good song of the day and we'll brighten up your journey with our feel good story. Feel good story. And we'll keep you moving with the very latest traffic info and local news for Cork. Drive time weekdays from four. On C103. 
A Cork-based national charity is appealing for volunteer families and individuals to help their work by becoming foster families to their puppies. Joining me from Dogs for the Disabled, which has its headquarters in Toker, is Jennifer Dowler, who founded the charity back in 2007. Good morning to you, Jennifer. Good morning, Patricia. What a beautiful morning we have. It is absolutely gorgeous out there, thank God. Long may it last, even though for people in West Cork we need the rain. But anyway, (laughs) now what what makes for an ideal foster family for one of your puppies, Jennifer? Okay, so what we're really looking for is normal, everyday families. Um, Because really, our families are that. You know, that the dog will ultimately go to will just be an ordinary family. Um, A family that has time fully enclosed garden and plenty of loving because really what we want to do is we want to fill our puppies up with love so that they have it to give when they're adult dogs you know so really loving and caring and um, be able to take them on little walks and maybe go to the shop once a week and just potter around and get used to just sleeping and hanging around and going to local park um, and so on and so forth really easy going kind of stuff so socialising them really more yes. than anything. How long does the puppy stay with the family or the individual? So the puppy, so what we do with our puppies is we keep them until they're 12 weeks old. So we've already done an initial lead walking, obedience, and we've socialised them into different environments and situations. What we want our puppies socialised to do then is continue that work we've already done with our baby puppies. And they'll be with them for 12 months. And then, of course, the big question, how hard is it, Jennifer, at the end of the 12 months to hand the puppy back? Okay, it is very hard and everyone cries, okay? But um, if you don't cry, really there's something wrong because that means you haven't really loved the dog, to be honest. So it is very upsetting, but you're doing it for the greater good. You're doing it for a child. Predominantly 80% of our clients are children living with physical disabilities um, and really the dogs are transformative to their lives if they can get them at the right age. So really, it is very difficult but the reason you're doing it is it's the gift, the gift of, of independence for a lot of our children. So as I say, it is hard, but we've always got more puppies coming. Yeah, I, w- I was just going to say that surely then the, 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 the payback, if you've done your job right, is there'll be another puppy on the way. There'll be another puppy. And, and it, it is hard, but as I say, it's not like usually the parents worry about the children. The children are never the issue, as in the foster families. It's always the adults are more upset than the children. <laughs> Um, so, but the thing is, but as I say, once you see that the dog is happy and so much loved by the end person that's getting the dog, usually a child between the age of six and twelve that's living with profound physical disability, it's it's payback in 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 so many, so greater an extent than anything. You know, it's the greatest gift you can give. Is and you're giving the gift of love. You know, so you take puppy. you take the dog back, the puppy back. Then after uh, after a year, what yeah. happens then? How long does the, tra- the training then starts? Is it? So the puppy will be about um, sixteen or seventeen months by then because we've already kept it that little bit when it was younger. And what we'll do then is we will then put it into training. It will be in training for about six months before it's matched with its client. So um, 80% of our clients, as I say, are children with physical disabilities. Um, and then they are trained up one-on-one with um, their dogs. So the children come from as far away as Donegal to be trained with their dogs. Now, we also train adults as well. Um, but they come, they travel from all over Ireland. They come live with us for a week. And we work on everything to do with the dog's health and well-being and how to instruct the dog. Um, so the children will come and they'll be taught how to instruct the dog. OK, I think everybody knows what the 
the um, guide dogs do and, and how mm-hmm. they how they guide somebody who's visually visually impaired. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the kind of work that your dogs end up doing. Okay, so we have two types of assistance dogs. We have the dog that we help we bring. And really those dogs are what we call stability dogs. They're trained to assist the children with walking, just everyday walking. And this really is to try and prevent them being full-time wheelchair users as adults. What we're doing is we're trying to help the children balance and walk and coordinate themselves through their growth phases. So we train those children between um, 6 and 12. So the dogs will be trained to walk very steady alongside the child to replace the parent's hand, stop at obstacles, negotiate obstacles, very similar to guide dog work, but very steady. Often when we place these dogs with these children, um, the dogs weigh more than the children do. Um, and then and then we train the adults, so they're over 16 years of age. They're, they're wheelchair users, and they are trained with dogs that do tasks, so opening doors, turn on the light switches, sending for help, pick up things you drop, um, anything you need, really. It's custom trained for the specific needs of the individual client. It's incredible yeah. what, you, what you can train these dogs to do. What type of dogs, what breed of dogs generally? Okay, so we, we have three types of dogs. We use mainly purebreds. We use purebred Labradors, Golden Retrievers, and Standard Poodles. So we use Standard Poodles because we have tracheostomy kids that can't have the hair going into the trachea. Um, so it's really, we, we, we have high success with our dogs. We've been breeding our own uh, puppies now for 15 years. Um, so we, we have fabulous puppies. And they're really, really just lovely. And they love children and they love getting out and about and um, they will they will have their moments where they're bold but like us all you know that's what growing up is all about yeah you know? and that's where that's where the training comes into it did I yeah. also read Jennifer you're looking for people to take the brood female and what We're does also, that entail yeah so also, well, we want them to be close to court. Okay. Um, so that entails um, just really keeping one of our long-term broods. So we have approximately three, two to three litters out of each brood. So they're selected specifically for breeding. Um, so they've been selected and passed all their medicals and behavioural assessments. And they will go on to have puppies. So it means really just keeping a dog that won't be neutered in your home like a pet dog. Um, it's we will often, some of the families will volunteer and keep um, the dog while she's having her puppies. Other families will just keep the dog and we take the dog away for the 10 weeks while she's having the puppies and, and, and looking after her babies. And then she goes back home to her family again. And so how we, many how many litters, generally speaking, do your dogs have? So it, we say we, three is, three is three. kind of tops, but like two is average. Does that make sense? Yeah, so we will yeah. have a couple of litters, um, two or three litters, depending on how, how successful her puppies were. Um, because obviously it's all down. We want to be producing dogs that are, are, are of quality and are going to go on to become assistance dogs. So, um, and, you know, and make sure they have no health or any issues that are going on with their, um, to their clients. Because a lot of our clients are on disability benefits. We want to make sure we're giving them really healthy dogs that aren't costing. Well done. Well, well done. And, and, and we cover all the costs of all our own stock. 
Um, so we feed them, we veterinary care them, we do everything and we have full-time care staff to provide full-time support as well. So there's always somebody at the end of a phone line if, yeah, if, you, if, if, you ha- if you have a question. How many dogs do you reckon you've trained since 2007? Oh my God. <laughs> I think we've somewhere around 500 dogs. Oh, goodness. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're busy. We, we don't shout a lot about what we do, but we're just busy in the background working away, working away, working away. Huge success is going on. Um, with 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 our program, um, and really we're we're very proud of what we've achieved, and um, and you know we're the only charity of our exact type in Ireland. So as I say, there are guide dogs for the blind and visual impairment and autism, um, and and we do more physical disabilities. So yeah, I saw one of your dogs in action. I was out in uh, Cork City over the weekend, and I, I saw a little lad. And the dog walking very carefully, and yeah. but you could just see the independence that that they gave that yeah. little boy because obviously mum and dad were were around as well. But it just yes, looked obviously. like a little boy was out with his dog. I just thought it was gorgeous to see. Yeah, yeah. But see, the problem is often if they like the kids, if they don't have the dog, they'd be falling, they'll get injured. Yeah, they'll, yeah. They'll end, they'll end up wheelchair bound. And the problem is if they end up wheelchair bound throughout their growing phase. They never come out of the wheelchair, yeah. and then that that makes it very difficult as a as an adult being wheelchair bound. You know, using the toilet, getting in out of bed, basic things. You know, you know. So it's easier if if they have some mobility as adults to just get in. You know, go to the bathroom, go to shower, basic things just for themselves. You know, um, it, it just any mobility helps helps people later on in life. Okay. So. That's what we're trying to do with the children. Is we're trying to increase their mobility as adults. And also, if they remain mobile as children, they'll have less pain as adults as well. Yeah, so you're doing great work. Somebody wants to know, do, do would the puppies miss the foster families when you take them away or do they, they adapt? They Well, the puppies come like to the schools, so they have great crafts. Like they're with all their friends. Okay. The puppies are, are quite busy when they when they come in. So, but I suppose they never forget you. You know, uh, I'd be out in the park and I'd see grey-haired dogs coming up to me, jumping all over me, and I go, "All right, <laughs> all right." <laughs> I, 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 I knew you many years ago. I knew. Okay, and very, very finally, because I'm over on time, funding uh, the 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 awful word of funding, uh, Jennifer. Is 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 it all down to fundraise money? We fund, we pay for everything ourselves. The charity fundraises itself and provides all our dogs free of charge to the recipient. Do you get any so we, get any grants? We, we get no government funding. We do get grants, no government funding. Um, but we are working hard, and we've hopefully got big things in the in the near future. So oh, keep, keep us informed. Out. Keep, keep us in, an eye out. and yeah, keep us informed. Yeah. I'd love to chat with you further. Listen, uh, Jennifer, you're doing amazing work. <laughs> Dogs for the Disabled. We have all of your contact details if anybody thinks that they can help out uh, by becoming a foster uh, family. Are indeed, if anybody wants to throw them a few bob, they're a very, very <laughs> worthwhile uh, charity. Jennifer, pleasure talking to you. Thank you pleasure for that. To you too. Good bye, morning bye. to you. Bye bye. Uh, Jennifer Dowler there, what a lovely lady, the founder of Dogs for the Disabled based in Toker. Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And uh, following my interview in the last hour with uh, Kay 
O'Mahony, a bereavement counsellor, talking about that two day course that uh, she's going to be facilitating at the Nanonagel Centre in Kilavollen uh, next month. I, you know, I really am aware that there would have been a lot of people listening who have and did suffer a bereavement during COVID times and just how difficult it was for so many people. And my heart goes out uh, to each and every one of you. But here's a summed up, I think, by this text saying, um, I cried when I heard that Lady Kay and Eilish, who lost her husband, speak. I lost my mom in May of 2020. That was just as COVID was beginning in this country. We were in lockdown probably at that stage, weren't we? Our funeral directors, Drews from Boherbui, were absolutely amazing at the time. Only 10 people were allowed in the church. Our boys were allowed to shoulder the coffin. I miss her so much. She went straight from the nursing home in Mallow from CUH. She died broken. Oh, isn't that just dreadful? And so many people have stories uh, like that to tell. That's why I think it was so important that we highlighted that particular bereavement course that Kay is going to be facilitating in the Nanonagel Centre. But also, as you heard Kay say to, I mean, obviously not everybody listening is going to be able to go along on a course like that, but just how important bereavement counselling is or a bereavement group and reach out. You'll find there's a lot of really good bereavement groups, a lot of parishes organise bereavement counselling as well. So please uh, reach out because I think what people have gone through in the last few years, we will be years, I think, healing. Uh, people are going to just need so much help with healing and coming to terms with the loss of a loved one, particularly when they weren't with them to be able to hold their hand at that final moment. My heart goes out to you. Uh, thank you, though, for your WhatsApp and for reaching out today to 086 OK, other uh, calls and texts coming in. I can see questions coming in for Annelise. You can keep those coming, please. She'll join us uh, later on in this hour. Uh, we're also, uh, people are continuing to talk about Irish water and the fact that so much money is, is spent by Irish water to try to sort out the leakages. And yet even when they have spent 2.7 billion euro by the end of 2030 there'll still be they reckon 25% of water lost every day through leakages at the moment it's at 38% uh, Finbar says Patricia the sooner Irish water is scrapped the better if local authorities had that kind of money um, that I feel has been wasted by Irish water paying out bonuses we heard only last week about the name changing we would have the best water network in the world the money was not available to the local authorities that's the reason why the network is in such a poor uh, condition and that's why I think Pader Tobin's call to initiate a value for money study on the work of Irish water just to see what are we getting what are we getting for that money I think would certainly be welcomed by so many and then another listener Joe says Patricia could you put a shout out please does anybody know how to remove rust stains from white vests now last week we had the sun sun cream the, if you get that on, particularly on white clothes, it goes a kind of a yellowy colour. And we had a lot of people, it was the good old vanish, was what many people were suggesting. I don't know if vanish that would work for rust stains. Has anybody removed rust stains from white vests, is what Joe is looking for. If anybody has suggestions or help, please let us know. 086 Some of your WhatsApps coming in. Heidi says, Morning Patricia, I drove up to uh, Cork. And as I was passing fuel filling stations I noticed all of the diesel prices has gone up and are now so much higher than they were a few weeks ago why is that the petrol prices seem to be down 
is this not another rip-off for the motorists that people have got a diesel car? I know it's the very same thing. Uh, myself, yesterday, there's a huge gap now with many of the service stations I passed yesterday between what petrol has been sold for, unleaded petrol, and what diesel has been sold for. There was a time where it was always flipped the other way. And there was one station yesterday I passed and the petrol was sort of the low 180, 181 and the diesel was at 196 and then I started keeping an eye and I've noticed that diesel seems to be up in the 190s now whereas it had been down in the 180s but petrol seems to be hanging in there at the lower level still higher than what it was even this time at last year I, I don't know what the explanation is for why why his diesel gone why is there such a big gap between the price of diesel and the price of unleaded I'll see if I can find out or if anybody knows please share it with us Hi Patricia this is another texter I hope oh this is on the woman who when I mentioned about the hosepipe ban that is in place in West Cork and how Irish Water are saying to people no wastage of any water please and everyone's been asked to you know cut back on their showers and just you know be careful about the water that you are using and one listener straight away says nobody will tell her when to turn on a tap when to turn off a tap she'll have as many showers as she likes and she'll use the water exactly as she sees fit well somebody is responding to that listener saying Patricia I really hope that the well doesn't go dry for that lady who is so adamant about going for her shower every day and she could get a shock with an attitude like that when she goes one morning to turn on her shower and no water comes out of it if the reservoirs go so low and why would anyone need to stay in a shower any longer than three to four minutes I accept that ladies probably need a little bit longer washing their hair but 15 minutes to me says Jim seems very very excessive I suppose that's where people who have their own wells what a great advantage once they have a good well yeah I imagine anyone who has a good well is feeling a little bit smug at at the moment I mean 15 minute showers yeah does anybody really need to be in the shower for longer than 15 minutes I am I I would agree with you on that one, Jim, for sure. And Martin in West Cork says, Patricia, you put a very good question to Catherine Murphy of the Social Democrats earlier when you asked her, what are the sanctions for politicians if they don't abide by the ethics uh, laws? She says it's down to the court of public opinion, which obviously isn't good enough. It was the media that outed Robert Troy. The media have a huge part to play in the public mood going forward. Thanking you. And that is from Martin in West Cork. And just wondering, thank you for that, Martin. I was just wondering, what did people make of the story? I followed this with great interest on social media, particularly on Twitter on Saturday. This was the story coming out from the Aviva with the American College football match going on. And it was a bank card processing error and because of it it led to 75% of all the food and drink allocated for the American football event at the Viva Stadium on Saturday evening being handed out free of charge. Now it was the Erlingus College Football Classic event and they brought much colour and much cheer to Dublin. It was the Northwestern Wildcats and the Nebraska Corn Huskers. And they came to town. Now, they didn't come on their own. There was about 15,000 fans travelled. So there was, it was certainly good for Dublin. They travelled from the US. There was about 3,000 sports fans then travelled from all over Europe to attend the game. And they reckon the rest of the audience was made up of Irish people who have an interest in American college football. But it seems at about half past five on Saturday evening, a problem developed with the payments 
system used by the event's catering company and the organisers, I suppose they felt like, what else could they do? They had to keep supplying food and drink to the customers and they had to do it at no cost. They had no way. They obviously don't have a cash facility. They only take credit cards and uh, debit cards and they had to continue doing it while they tried to resolve the problem. It took two hours to resolve the problem. And it's Louis UK plus Ireland. I've never come across this company before, but they were supplying the food and drink services at the event. They said the technical issues, by the way, wasn't the fault of the Aviva Stadium. It was nothing to do with the the Aviva Stadium, but it lay with the payment provider, a company that they said was called Sum Up. Now, I heard on Saturday when the news broke that they were giving out free pints and free food at the Aviva. It was all over social media. And there was videos of huge queues to get the free drink and the free food. Longer longer queues, by the way, can I say, for the drink than there appear to be for the food. But anyway, that's another thing. Um, But I heard that the internet had gone down. Of course, if the internet goes down, then the card payment doesn't work. But they're not saying exactly what happened. It's just saying that it was a technical issue. The spokesperson then said that a decision to give out the food and drink without payment was a joint one between the company who was supplying the food and drink and the Aviva Stadium and man- management and that was to preserve the customer experience as best they uh, could. And I saw a lot of Americans were tweeting online saying what a great Cade Mead falter they got and the fact that everything was free. They were just blown away by it. They couldn't believe it. I also saw another video where they had these sort of large, large plastic beakers they were giving the beer out in, typical of what you'd see at most of those events. And the, as people were drinking the beer, they were putting them to the, together and they made a snake of all of the beer beakers that ran all the way along one section of the Aviva and actually went up onto the next tier so much beer was drank and seemingly most people were, were queuing up and they could carry four of the because they had the little holdalls that you could put the cups into and most people were going up and getting their, their four pints but it went on for two hours they had to give it all out uh, free. I also saw video footage that they ran out of food. <laughs> they were a hungry, hungry bunch. But remember that these these American college football games, they go on for four hours. So very much part and parcel of attending these games is to go to the bar, have a drink, is to go to the food vending places and have something uh, to eat. It's not like an ordinary, say, 90-minute soccer match or, or, or a uh, hurling match or a a Gaelic football match or a camogie match. It's very much an event, you know, that you, you, you need to eat and drink because you're there for so long. So anyway, for about two hours, it was free food, free drink and free beer. And then I saw in the Irish Independent this morning that when the organisers were asked who was going to cover the bill for the food and drink that was given away for free. A spokesperson said they were already in contact with the payment provider to start the process of reclaiming their uh, costs. But, you know, I have to say, fair dues to that company, Louis UK plus Ireland and the Aviva Stadium. Problem erupted at half five. Very quick decision was made. Leave the bar open, leave the food vending section open and give it out for free. Because during the Glastonbury Festival back earlier in the summer, at one stage during the evening time, the credit and debit cards, for some strange reason, the card processing machines didn't work. Again, I don't know if it was the internet was down or whatever. And what they did at the Glastonbury Festival was they closed off the food and, and drinks 
until the card processing machines were back up and running. They certainly weren't weren't handing out free food and uh, free drink. But the one thing that really caught my attention when I was watching this all unfold on Saturday evening and the one thing that got me thinking was, you know, we're all being pushed to move away from cash and we're told, you know, credit cards are the best way to go and credit and debits and tap and go and it's the easiest way and banks, certain banks want to go cashless and they want us to do everything online and they want us to do everything on a card payment. But doesn't it just prove that cards are not always necessarily the best way to go when you get some kind of a processing error or a simple thing like the internet goes down and if you don't have cash and if you don't have a facility to take cash things can go wrong and things can go wrong very very quickly now I, I think for the people that were attending them the American football fans didn't see it as things going wrong for them they seem to be a very happy bunch indeed 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls we are taking calls for Annalise Dressel our nutritional therapist and you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie Now the cleanup group in Shambhalimore they are meeting tonight at 7pm um, that's outside the community centre. Everyone's welcome to come along and please give a helping hand. Chagas will hold an open day in Johnstown Castle tomorrow at 10am. This open day will demonstrate technologies and practices that can be adopted on farms to help maintain farm productivity and profitability while increasing overall environmental sustainability. And Shambhali Moore Bingo goes ahead tomorrow night, Tuesday, 8 o'clock. That's in the Community Hall with a jackpot this week of 2,650. Rock Chapel Community Centre are pleased to announce the return of card games on Wednesday night, 31st of August at 9 o'clock. All existing players, as well as new players who will be interested in what is described as a great night of entertainment, are more than welcome to attend. And Cape Clear International Storytelling Festival goes ahead next weekend, Friday the 2nd to Sunday the 4th of September. They've got a combination of live daytime events on Cape Clear and there's online evening events on Zoom. Due to limited capacity, tickets for the in-person events must be purchased in advance and there'll be no ticket sales on at the door on the night. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. As we've been reporting and discussing here in our programme, the first hose pipe ban of the summer takes effect from midnight tonight as drought levels lead tens of thousands of households of risks of their taps running dry in the West Cork area. Uh, joining me with his reaction to the story is Cork McSherry based uh, Councillor John O'Sullivan. Good morning to you, or good afternoon to you, John. Good afternoon, uh, And you're welcome to the programme. Firstly, how has this news been received in West Cork? Which, look, I suppose, in months it's been expected. It's something you don't want to see coming, but it, it, it at the way the weather was and, and the way you can look, look around us, it, it, it was coming. It's going to be difficult to, to, to handle. It's going to be, I suppose, uncomfortable. And I suppose the, the other part of it is, is that uh, how long is it going to last and will it get worse than the, the questions that have been left after that. Because um, at, at the moment it's for four weeks that's but right. it could get extended. But the problem is that since November of last year, 
Irish Water yeah. say that rainfall in West Cork has been below average. And I, I, I read in their press release, it'll take six to eight weeks of rainfall to try to it replenish will. it. It will. Well, I was just do, doing it. We were putting a wall down here recently and we dug down seven feet and there wasn't just dust all the way down. So that only gives an example of, of what, what water or soil moisture deficits are. And if there's no moisture in the soil, it can't go to the rivers and that, that creates the problem for, for water supplies, particularly in Jones Bridge and Tanakilty. But, but for all the supplies in, at Baxter's Bridge and Bendon, I, I mean, I know the river is low there as well. So it's, um, it certainly is something that needs to be dealt with and, and, and there's a long-term issue there. There's a long-term issue. We have, we have more people living in the country. We have more people living in our towns and our villages and the countryside. And that augments, I suppose, the, the demand for water. And, and of course, we're right in the middle of the tourist season. Yes. I, I spent a gorgeous long weekend a couple of weeks ago in your neck of the woods in, in Cork McSherry uh, and we were travelling around and I couldn't believe how busy... Uh, yeah. No, it was that week of the heat wave. What a go- glorious place to be! But it yeah. was it was just really busy. So and and I remember yeah. thinking, goodness me, the, the like the water supply is going to be under pressure. Yeah, well, I mean, we met. Well, I I, I met Irish Water. I, I, this this has become an issue for some time. I got elected to Cork County Council, I suppose, in two thousand and nine. The the water supply was under pressure at that stage and that supplies in the area for here from Cotman Sherry to Ross Carberry up as far as Ross Moore, so a substantial area. And uh, we were told they were going to augment the supply from Corrilicky Lakes in, in Drina. But then uh, when Irish Water took over, when they did an analysis of it, they said that that, that wouldn't be sufficient for the projected population increase and in demand. That wouldn't be enough. And the, the plan was drawn up to join Bandon to Tanakilty. Uh, as a first phase, and then the second phase would be to to join the the um, Chetwin Reservoir, which is to 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 Bendon to create supply in West Cork. And they gave us a time scale at that stage. That would be up to five years for the first one would be done. So I impressed on them that 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 wouldn't be sufficient. They said we'd have a whole development plan that that couldn't be couldn't be developed, if effectively stagnate the area. So in fairness, they came back and they are now progressing with the contract that's to start so, sometime in the next number of days, a week, 10 days or that way, to 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 join the supply from Baxter's Bridge in Bendon to Jones's Bridge in Tanakilty. And that and will make a difference? That will. Well, the, when we met them, the, the, the figures they gave us was that there was about five years headroom at Bendon over Tanakilty. Tanakilty was short about two million litres a day. They were confident that upgrading the, the, the processing units at Johnson Bridge that they could bring half of that in and there to to uh, transfer 800, mil, 800 litres a day from Bandit to Tanakilty. But this is the first stage of, 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 this, of the set of the... The next stage, which has, to, which has to go into planning now straight away once, once the other one starts, is to join the the reservoir at Chetwin to Bendon to create a sustainable long-term supply both for the Bendon area and, and Tanikilty area. How long will all of that take, John? Well, I was heartened by the degree that they told us to take five years to get the, the one from Bendon to Tanikilty in place and the contract is about, is about to start. And I, I have spoken to, I've spoken to, the, to the financial controller and I've emphasised on them that they need to get 
operational and, and plans to, to do the next stage, which will be a 20-kilometre extension for, from Cork to, to Bendon. They need to get working on that immediately. And they have they have undertaken they've undertaken to, that that they that they will move to that as soon as the other the other one is, is, contract is, is in place, which which it is, which will, will start shortly. So it, it's going to it's going to take five years, but they they have assured us that there's five years headroom in Bandon, which will which will allow Bandon and Clannochill to, to progress. But there there is need that that the next phase must be developed. But having said all that, the it, it's important to justify the. The pipeline from from Cork to Bendon, that the Clannochilty and Bendon schemes are, are giant together because that creates the critical mass mm. to 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 cover the cost. I mean, twenty kilometres of, of a five hundred millimetre diameter pipe isn't going to be cheap to put in. Absolutely not. Absolutely. But, it, it, but, it but you need, need it for for development for the area. You do. Well, you need you need it just 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 to maintain the survival there. If if we're, I mean, I, I had a, a, a single applicant showed me a letter this week or well last week actually, where he was denied access to to a water connection. That's that's not sustainable going forward. Um, building houses have been held up in Ross Carberry, in Clannochilty, in 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 Court McSherry, in in plans for them in Timleague and different places. And uh, if people can't get houses to live, they won't, they won't stay there. It's going to do two things. It's going to bring people away. And s- secondly, it's going to put the price of existing housing stock out of reach of anybody who wants to stay here. So it is critically important that, that, that this goes ahead. And, and I, for one, am making every effort that, that the next stage of this goes into planning and is, is executed as quickly as possible. And I'm emphasising and calling on, on all the Oireachtas members in, in, in West Cork in particular to, to support this and, and, and to drive it on. And if nothing else, this host pipe band that kicks in at midnight tonight really shows how important this is. It does, yeah, it does, yeah. I mean, and I mean, look, there, there were, in fairness, Irish Water, they, they have they have done a lot of leak repairs and that, but being without water, I mean, I had a man in the Darrell, I went to break, there was over 200 cows there and there's no water. Wow. That's, that's sustainable either. Um, I mean, I, I've been making the point for some time at meetings that Irish Water and, and, and Cork County Council and, and the department should look at mechanisms of getting commercial enterprises to to provide water, or provide water, even provide grant aid for them to sink wells and that to take the pressure off the off the, the public main for, for the for the public. And I, I still think that that that's viable and need, needs to be looked at. And I, I I'm making that. Time. Yeah, I but think we certainly, need to we need to start thinking outside the box. Yes, but I, I suppose one of the things that I'm, I'm glad today that you gave me the opportunity that there have been some concerns maybe expressed in Bendon that, that the pipeline from Bendon to Clannochilty would just dry out Bendon but that's not the case it's part of of, uh, of, of an overall plan to connect um, the, the River Lee effectively to Bendon to supply water in, in all of West Cork Bendon, Clannochilty and, and one needs the other to, to get that supply put in place yeah. so, but, but then but, but then when you know I mentioned this morning while going through the, the papers before I came on air seeing a piece in the Irish Examiner a headline saying almost 40% of, of water is lost every day through leakages despite all the money that Irish water is spending that's a yes. very bitter pill to swallow when you have people in West Cork now on, on a hosepipe band it is, it is, and and I, I probably would be castigated for saying this because I, I'm chairman of a group work scheme here locally, where we have every private house and every every tapping is has a meter on it since the year 2000. But one one of the critical ways 
to establish whether you have leaks or not is to have a meter at the house. You can you can determine whether there's leakage on the way to the house or inside the house or whatever. And until such time as more regular and, and more meters are put in place, you can't identify where, where leaks are. And it, it, it really can't can't be solved un, until that's done. And I, I know I know that's not a popular thing. Yeah, today, and we know how people felt about yeah, we know how way people felt about meters being put into their houses. All right, well, okay. And listen, before the issue, the issue with meters was charges. It was, the, the, yeah, it was. The, 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 the meters are, are critically important. Yeah, for, mon- for monitoring sure. supply. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And before I let you go, make us jealous. Is it beautiful in Court Mac today? Absolutely yes. beautiful here. Beautiful here. I mean, it, it's it's been a wonderful summer here. It's been wonderful. It's been there's been fantastic crowds here. There's been, it, it's just pictures have been full. We've had some lovely lovely festivals. We had rowing championships. We've had different different things on. It's it's been it's, been a, it's a lovely part of the country. I think I've described it on your program on a number of occasions as the Irish Riviera. It I is, stand by that. Yeah, it's it, it is stunning. And the actual village of Court Mac, I never realised until this year how stunning your sunsets are. Yes, they're, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. I mean, so, some of the photographers have, have have published photographs, but it is beautiful and. Um, I had I had an aunt that was, was there in February, and we showed her a picture of sunset from the lawn in Cotton Sherry Hotel, and they just were blown away by it. The, 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 the breath was taken away by it. It is a beautiful, beautiful location. Yeah. The, the Seven Hills Peninsula as a whole is, is beautiful. I mean, the, the cycles with the Yorovella cycling route here now, the, the Wild Atlantic Way, it came as far as Cotton Sherry. There, there's an unfinished bit of business to get it the rest of the way. But it, it is it is a beautiful location and it is only 45 minutes from Cork City. That's it. Well, en- enjoy what looks good. like being the last of the, the summer and then God knows we will be praying for rain, particularly uh, for the good yeah. people of West Cork. Listen, John, pleasure as yeah. always to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is Court McSherry-based Cork County Councillor John O'Sullivan. 0818 103 103. Let's turn our attention to our nutritional therapist, Annalise Dussel. She joins us next. You can text her WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Just talking about the sunsets in Court Mac. Thank you to Louise, who just sent me on three stunning photographs of sunsets over Court Mac Sherry last Wednesday. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you for that, uh, Louise. OK, Annalise Drussell, a nutritional therapist from the Health Hub Times Square in Ballincollig, joining me on this Monday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome. Let me get straight into questions, starting with a menopause question from Liz. Hi, I started the menopause at 57. With the last year, I'm suffering terribly from sweats at night, pains in my joints and a very low libido. I'm 63 now. I'm wondering, could I still take HRT? My doctor wouldn't give it to me at age 57. And at the time, my doctor was against it as I had cysts in my breasts. Any advice would be much appreciated, please. So the the doctors were very against HRT um, due to a study, Patricia, that was completed that has since been slightly debunked um, because it had found that people, women who took HRT had a slightly elevated risk of cancer. So HRT stopped being prescribed. And the truth of it is, is actually, it is firstly, the, the new hormones are far more bioidentical and far less synthetic anyway. And the second thing is that there were a couple of flaws with that study anyway, so the risks were possibly not as high as they originally thought. 
I don't think HRT is suitable for people who have a family history of cervical or breast cancer, the oestrogenic one, because you are putting oestrogen back into the body. But actually, for everybody else, I think HRT is great. It it delays um, osteoporosis. It keeps your skin lovely and young. You don't get the terrible symptoms. You're able to sleep and function. And also, uh, like your libido and ageing, everything ages later when you stay on HRT. So I think if you're a doctor, we'll give it to you for sure. Take it. Now, if you get cysts in your breasts, the only way to know will it make it worse is to take HRT for a period of time uh, and then um, see do they get worse. But what a lot of people find great for those lump, cysts or lumps in their breasts, the first thing is evening primrose oil can be really good. Um, that's, that's for any sort of breast uh, pain as well, especially even if you're... Um, coming up to your period and you feel your breasts get those lumps or they get very sore. The other thing that's great for sore boobs is the vitamin B6 and you need to take anything between 25 to 50 milligrams which is quite a high dose. So if you get that, you'll have to get that in a health shop because it won't be in a high dose than anything else. So that's very good for the breasts and if your doctor absolutely won't get you won't let you get HRT, I would try natural plant hormones. So we get great feedback here on two supplements in particular. One of them is by a company called Nutri Advanced and it's a it's a powdered supplement, perimeno support, and it is brilliant for the sore breasts, for the mood, for sleep, for libido, for the sweats, for the anxiety that some people feel. It seems to cover everything. So that's called perimenopause support. And then if you don't get that one, NHP do one called menopause support. And we get good feedback on that as well. Okay, good luck with that. And says, question for Annalise, would MAG365 cause my sugar levels to be high? I take it every day. It shouldn't do at all. Um, Now, when I say this, Patricia, I've often seen very rare and unusual side effects from natural supplements with certain people. So it's impossible to know. The only way to know really is to stop taking it and see do blood sugar levels uh, normalise. But there is absolutely nothing in a MAG365 supplement that um, should elevate your blood sugar levels. And for people who take that, I should just point out, you do need to mix that with very hot water to activate it. Otherwise, it's, uh, it doesn't become magnesium citrate and it can... Uh, cause a few stomach problems or maybe a very loose bowel. So make sure that you mix that up with hot water and then you can, once it's dissolved, you can always cool it down with some cold, but it needs to be dissolved in very, very hot water. Okay, a couple of problems with knees. A ministry listener says, question for Annelise. Now, this is, says, my knees are knocking loudly when I try to bend them. So I'm imagining a clicking sound. What can I do? I need to build cartilage in them. So the different things that will build cartilage, the first, the most important thing really, I suppose, is collagen and the most active one. And you can buy loads of different collagen supplements on the market now. Um, the UC2 cartilage is one that we sell here in tablet form. And it seems to be very good at building cartilage. There's a small bit of a natural anti-inflammatory in there as well. So for we have people coming in having taken that after a couple of weeks and saying that they notice the benefit, which is very, very quickly. But if you are going for an ordinary collagen supplement, go for marine collagen if you can get it over bovine. So it's coming from fish rather than from cows. It seems to work quicker for some people. And the other thing that's good to build cartilage as well is glucosamine and chondroitin. They would be the more old style type of supplements. Um, And we get, again, great feedback on one by a company called Terra Nova. 
they have glucosamine mixed with boswellia, which is a lovely natural anti-inflammatory because there's no cartilage will be built if there's inflammation and pain. Um, and that's a lovely one if you've got a little bit of stiffness and pain, the glucosamine with boswellia from Terra Nova. Because Mike in Whitechurch has what he describes as a buildup of calcium in his knee joint. He got injections previously every two to three months, I'm assuming for pain relief, but they cost between three and four hundred euro per injection. Any natural remedy would be welcomed. I think the remedies that I've already mentioned, Patricia, I don't, the buildup of calcium is an unusual one. Um, Like calcium normally builds up on the insides of arteries and you might get calcification of bone. Um, Possibly would it be that he's maybe developed some kind of little osteocytes on the the bone of the knee and that's maybe what's rubbing. I'm not sure I understand fully how, what it means by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, these, those natural supplements, the Gallium C2 cartilage or the marine collagen or the um, Terranova glucosamine with the Boswellia and chondroitin is a lovely one. They're all very, very good ones. But again, if it's bone on bone, like if the cartilage is completely gone, there's really nothing to kind of save and build up. So um, I, I'm not sure how good a result it would be. And the injections generally, they're very strong steroid injections and they can work wonderfully, but they don't do anything to resolve the cartilage problem. They just take care of the pain. They're just a pain relief. So it they, could yeah. be the pain relief. So something to consider could be stem cell therapy. So what they do with stem cells, these are cells that can become anything. They um, And so they inject them in and they can become cells that produce cartilage. And for some people, they can be really effective. You have to get it done privately, but it can definitely extend the knee, re- put the knee replacement off by a couple of good, good few years. So that's worth looking into as well. Stem cell replacement therapy. Okay, Mary says uh, she is on hydrochloroquine, suffering with awful nausea. Could you recommend anything to take? Hydroxychloroquine. So it's probably a side effect of the medication, so it's a very difficult one. Um, Generally, what you suggest for nausea is um, ginger. So you could try ginger tablets, um, but I think probably what's happening there is that the stomach has been hugely irritated. Um, So if you want to um, solve the problem, you have to bring the irritation and inflammation down. So something like slippery elms might be a nice one to take before taking the medication anyway, at least, because it would line and coat your stomach and prevent it from becoming damaged and inflamed and irritated. So you can get it in a powder, you can get it in capsules. I know BioCare do a slippery elm intensive. We sell loads of it. It's a fantastic product. So I would try that and then maybe sip ginger tea for the nausea feeling in the short term. Okay, this is, is there a, no, there's no, sorry, I thought it was the name of this. There isn't. Hi, question please for Annalise. I have restless leg syndrome. I first got it when I was pregnant a few years ago. Never had it before the pregnancy. It's not bad all the time, but some nights it can be really, really uncomfortable. Any suggestions? And isn't this one of the most common questions we get, Patricia, yeah. restless legs? So for, there's generally a few things that can tr- contribute to restless legs and it's good to have them ruled out. One is an iron deficiency or a vitamin B12 deficiency. And generally, when you get your bloods done, that's part of the standard check. So if they're low, take an iron and a B12 supplement. If you didn't want to go to the doctors and you could just take an iron and B12 supplement for the month to see that it resolved the problem. The other thing it can be as well is a deficiency of magnesium. So some people taking magnesium is the the quickest way to resolve restless leg syndrome. Now, the best one that we have here in the shop is by Nutri-Advanced. 
and it is um, Mega Mag Muscle Ease. So there isn't just magnesium in there. There's a whole load of other um, natural um, vitamins in there that are good for making sure that the muscles are able to relax and contract effectively. Because what happens with restless legs is, is that the muscles aren't actually relaxing effectively. They keep contracting and they're not relaxing properly. So the Nutri Advanced Mega Mag Muscle Ease, and if you can't get your hands on that, just get plain magnesium. Um, Viridian do a high strength one. Um, if you can get your hands on the Terra Nova Magnesium Biglycinate, that's a one that's very, very gentle on the stomach because then some of them are a bit rough on the stomach. Um, and they would be the main things to try. You could also try quinine which comes from the tree. You'll get it in prescription form or you can get it in the tonic. So I know that a lot of tonics, they don't put actual quinine in there. The only one I've found is the fever tree. They actually do use proper quinine. So you could drink that before going to bed and see, does that relieve your restless legs? And then if they do, ask your doctor for prescription. And is it unusual that it started in pregnancy? And I'm just thinking if it did start in pregnancy, that could have been an iron deficiency. Exactly, and yeah. that's always that's one of the first things I would suggest is rule out the iron and B12. Yeah. But you could be, you know, deficient in magnesium during pregnancy as well because it would be hugely involved in, in growth and in the growth of the embryo as well. So it would be quite common. And unless you're eating a lot of green leafy vegetables and some people when they're nauseous, their diet isn't great for the first couple of months. So it can be very common. Okay, and a final one, a couple of people are picking up when you mentioned itchy breasts from menopause. A couple of people are picking up on that saying, I never knew that that was a symptom of menopause. And Anne is going through menopause. She said her symptoms are bearable except for the itchy breasts. Well, what did you recommend for that? I think I, I, I recommend it was cystic breasts, Patricia, wasn't it? Not yeah. itchy. Oh, sorry. Uh, okay, I think people so, thought it was itchy, we're saying. But, uh, oh, it's the cystic because that, that listener had um, breast cysts. That's why her, her okay. doctor wouldn't give her the HRT hormone therapy. But if you have, that, that actually also could be a possible menopausal thing. So try the vitamin B6 for that as well. It could work. Um, and the evening primrose oil would be another one. But generally, I think the vitamin B6, 25 milligrams, is the best thing for anything to do with breasts and hormones because it works really, really quickly within a couple of weeks. OK, listen, have a lovely week and we'll chat to you again next Monday. Thanks, Patricia. And thanks for joining us. That is Annelise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic. And you can go to her website, healthhubstore.com. And later on this afternoon, she'll put up as heard on the radio, which is a great way because not everybody gets to take down all of the information because she always has so much information for us. So healthhubstore.com. And I know John Paul will put up Annelise's uh, piece as a separate podcast as well, uh, wherever you get your podcasts uh, from. Now, somebody was on for Joe. Joe wanted the help with the rust stains from white vests. Um, One listener says lemon and salt is recommended to remove rust. Now this listener says I have to be honest I've never tried it but it might be worth a shot for uh, Joe. Joe. So lemon and salt and I'm assuming you'd mix the lemon and salt together almost like a paste and then put it onto the rust stains and see does that take it off. It certainly is worth a shot Joe because if you have rust stains on the white vests (laughs) and you've no other way of getting rid of it give the lemon and the salt it surely can't do any harm. And then we were talking about uh, 
uh, well, someone else was talking about electricity and electricity charges and the fact that we could have power outages. Somebody says, hi, Patricia, I can never understand how some people waste so much electricity. I have a neighbour of mine and honest to God that he can be up until 4 a.m. in the morning. Anytime you look out of the house and I'm assuming if you're up in the middle of the night to check on something or noticing that the lights are on all over the house. I cannot understand how wasteful some people can be. And then you've got others who are terrified to use any bit of electricity because they're fearful of large bills. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.